Hi, folks. Welcome back to Vox Tablet, the podcast of Tablet Magazine. It's me, Sarah Ivory. I'm your host. Today, one man's quest to bring the would-be Jews of India to the land of Israel. Michael Freund has spent a good part of his life traveling the world. He doesn't do it for fun. He is on a mission. Freund goes where anybody with any tie to Judaism lives and figures out not just how to get them to Israel if they want to get there, but how to be fully Jewish and part of the Jewish people. Most recently, that meant going to India. He went there to help a group of people called the B'nai Menashe emigrate or make Aliyah. They claim they descend from one of the lost tribes of Israel. Tablet Magazine editor Matthew Fishbane tagged along to find out what drives Freund, and we're going to speak with Matthew in just a few minutes. But first, here's our latest Vox Beat. Earlier this month, a music video went up on YouTube. It's been getting passed around a lot, at least it's appeared a lot of times in my feed. And it opens with a singer standing at the front of a classroom. She's dressed primly, and she's chanting the Hebrew alphabet. For every letter that comes up, she performs a gesture, sort of like she's teaching her pupils some sort of secret sign language. From there, a hip-hop beat kicks in, and the music and the movements get much more expansive. It is mesmerizing. We sent Jerusalem-based reporter Daniel Estrin to find out who this singer is and what the video is all about. Here's what he learned. My name is Victoria Hanna. I was born in Jerusalem. I will describe myself mostly as a vocal artist. I treat voice as a kind of clay. I like to sculpture in the voice with my voice in the space. In the video, I'm a teacher and I'm a pupil. And the teacher is uh, showing the girls the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet. I say Aleph Bet, Gimel Dalet, Hey, Vav, I say the whole cycle of the alphabet. And every time I uh, say one letter, I point to the place where this letter related in the body organ. According to the Book of Creation, which is a Kabbalah book, each specific letter relates to a very specific place in the body. in an Orthodox family. My uh, mother, she was born in Iran. My father was born in Egypt. I grew up uh, going to the school, which is not very different from what you see in the video. When I was uh, a child, I had serious problem of stuttering. I think it allowed me to go very, very deep to see what happened in the mouth when the speech comes out. This meeting point is very interesting for me. I investigate it. So it's a gift. I mean, my handicap became a gift. Oh, Shana, oh, Shana, 
Victoria Khan is finishing up her first full album. She is working with the producer Tamir Muscat, who is from the band Balkan Beatbox. Keep an eye out for the release this spring. Her music video was directed by Asaf Korman. If you haven't yet seen it, come check it out on our website, which is tabletmag.com. Now then, back to Michael Freund. Back in 1997, Michael Freund was working in the communications office of Benjamin Netanyahu, and he opened a letter there from someone in Manipur in northeast India who said that he and his community descended from one of the lost tribes of Israel. The group wanted to move to Israel, the letter said. The police set Freund off on a life's mission to help these people and others around the world to join the fold of world jewelry. Freund founded Shaveh. It's an organization which devotes itself to this cause. This past fall, Tablet Magazine's Matthew Fishbane joined Freund and some of his staff in India as the most recent waves of emigrants prepared to leave their village and move to Israel. Matthew wrote about Freund's zeal and the journey he arranged in a terrific article that you can now read on our website, tabletmag.com. Matthew Fishbane is familiar to some of you listeners, hopefully. He's been on our podcast before, and he joins us again today in the studio to talk about this latest adventure. Matthew Fishbane, welcome back to Box Tablet. Thanks for having me. So, Matthew, over the years, you've written a few long-form pieces for Tablet about Jews in far-flung places. You've gone to the Solomon Islands. You've gone to Venezuela. In this new piece, you go to visit a hill tribe in Manipur, India, not far from the border with Myanmar. And from there, you made your way to an absorption center in Israel via Delhi and Tashkent. What were you looking to find on this journey? I was most interested in Michael Freund. And I've been interested in him for quite a while because precisely of those uh, other uh, reporting trips that I've done in the past to uh, Uganda, to uh, Colombia. Uh, and in those places, there was always one person whose name kept popping up, which was Michael Freund, because he runs this organization that works in so many places. Uh, and he became quickly kind of became a figure that needed to be investigated because he was somebody who was actively moving people across the globe. He was engaged all over the place. And even though there are, there are several other groups that also work with world Jewry, he, he seemed to be a, a major figure there. And um, it took me several years, actually, of negotiating with him in order to get to the point where he was willing to have me go along on one of his trips because I thought it was very important to to see him in action in the places where he's doing that. I wanted to see how he makes contacts with these communities, how he develops his relationship with them, and um, how he eventually 
will change their lives. So his, his aim, is it specifically to get Jews in remote places in the world to Israel, or is it broader than that? It's not. He works with the communities that express their own claims to uh, a relationship to Judaism. So once they make themselves known to him, he'll investigate their claims. And once he becomes confident that there is a certain amount of seriousness in their claim, which is a debatable thing, but he has his own way of doing that, then he works with the community to see what it is exactly that they want. Uh, so in some areas, some some of the groups, like in India, the one that I saw, they, they seem to express a, a desire to make Aliyah and to make their lives in Israel, so he's helping them do that. In other places across the globe, um, in uh, southern Italy, uh, there are uh, groups of, of former converts uh, that, that they were forcibly converted into Christianity from Judaism, or there are, there are other groups in South America, they're all over the globe. Um, they don't necessarily want to come to Israel, so he, he doesn't – he believes himself that it is where every Jew should live, but he doesn't impose that view on the people that he works with. So you went with Freund to Manipur, to this small village, to go with this most recent group of Jews from India to make Aliyah. They were on their way. Paint a picture for us of the place where they were coming from. What did you find? What were they leaving behind? So this is a far corner of India, on the other side of Bangladesh, on the Myanmar border. So this is a part of India that most people who think about India don't even think about it. It's like the culture is closer to Burmese, Lao, uh, northern Thai hill tribes. They uh, are rice farmers. Um, the, the community is centered around a, a town called Churachampur, which is about 500,000 people, which makes it a small town in, the, um, in India. And then within that structure, they live in villages in and around that, that area. And they live in s- small houses, um, Sometimes thatched huts uh, can go up to, let's say, a cement one-room place. Very mo- modest um, lives. They're, they're artisans, they're clerks, uh, government, low-level government employees, rice farmers, subsistence farmers. Um, their religious life is centered on synagogues that are scattered across the region. And in Trachampur, for example, down a, a dirt street. You get to the Hebrew center, which is there's a sanctuary on the second floor, and there's uh, really a community center, which is very spare, uh, cement open area with wooden benches and um, a well, no running water. Uh, It's a generator, no electricity, and um, a very lively place where people come often for Shabbat services and share food and and know each other, and they live in tight nuclear uh, families, so... Um, their social structures are, are quite strong, and they're not isolated. Um, they have good relations with their Christian neighbors, Muslim neighbors. There's a village nearby that's Muslim as well. It's not. There's a, it's the multiculti India that's tolerant. And just so I have a sense of it, how big a population are they? There's nine thousand uh, self-described B'nai Menashe. Uh, about two thousand of them already live in Israel. All seven thousand of them who are left say that they want to live in Israel. And who, for people who are not familiar with the idea of B'nai Menashe, who are they? And is there any basis to their claim of being Jews? So the person who wrote the book on them is Hillel Halkin, and I recommend highly his book. It's called Across the Sabbath River. Um, and Halkin actually spent 
quite a few years on this very question, so I, I don't want to speak over him. But um, essentially, they believe now that they descended from one half of one of the lost tribes of Israel. So in 750 BC, when this Assyrian conquest uh, happened, and uh, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel were sent to exile, uh, one of the patriarchs of one of those tribes was uh, Manasseh. This is all according to the Bible. And somehow that group, or a splinter of it, ended up on the other side of Persia and Afghanistan and the Himalaya and somehow ended up in some area of India, which is where this was. Um, how to prove that that's actually what's true 2,700 years after the fact is uh, the work of ethnographers and historians, and it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, what Freud likes to point out and what the group likes to point out is that they have very similar rituals. Uh, they have some sacrificial rituals that seem to resemble things from the first temple. They have um, certain holiday seasons that are related to harvest and other stuff that might be connected to the rhythms of Jewishness. What's interesting, of course, is that all the all religions always have these things in them. There are some basic things, but do they go beyond those just coincidental um, comparisons, or are they, is there something deeper? So have they had contact with modern Jews? I mean, besides Freund and before Freund? Freund's mentor was a incredible rabbi, Israeli rabbi named Eliyahu Avichail. And he actually founded an organization that preceded Shabbat. It's called Amishav. And Avichail studied dispersed Jews in texts. But then at one point, he was not a, a traveling man. But at one point, one of his, one of his spiritual mentors told him that he needed to do something about it. And he ended up actually on this incredible 30 years of travel to the most remote places. And he was actually probably one of the first to really make uh, contact with the Minashe and develop their the expression of religion that they have now. So Freud was really um, co-tailing on Avichail's work. Uh, and in fact, they did work together for a while and had an acrimonious split because they didn't agree on the uh, the best way to deal with these people. So he was the one who introduced them to sort of, you know, this is a kippah and here's how you can read the Torah service and all the kind of Correct. The rights. Right, because before that it would have been what you see often in these communities all over the world is Christian missionaries bringing the Bible and then the Bible being reinterpreted as a in a more fundamentalist idea of it, returning to a to the just the first five books. And this is repeated over and over all I've seen it, you know, in Uganda and Colombia, everywhere. This is what happens. And then the um and then a rabbi arrives from a foreign place that has a solid idea of Judaism and says and nudges that in the direction of modern what modern Judaism looks like. Why do they want to go to Israel? Are there barriers to their observance or to their expression of identity in India? That's one of the most interesting things about this migration because the Jews that you see in India, who we call the B'nai Menashe, come from many different tribes. But there's nothing about their position that you, when you arrive to see it, that you think they need to get out of here. You know, this is they're they're not persecuted. They're free to express their religion as however they want uh, in India, which is a tolerant country. Um, and their lifestyle is, to me, from the outside looking in, it looked almost enviable. There was 
plenty of food and plenty of um, you know opportunity for education and um, but they just say that two things that they don't want to live in, in, in India anymore they want to move to Israel because of their religious feeling and the other is that this region did experience a lot of ethnic strife over the last um, two decades it's not a stable location it's still it's not the India the new India of Bangalore and the tech revival and all the opportunity and the you know the the new middle class this is a rural India that has missed that so they uh, don't have the same economic opportunity there that they would in Israel. In the article, you say of Michael Freund that he's, quote, hardly the swashbuckling adventurer, unquote, that one might expect in his line of work, and that he seems to be almost autistically incurious about the places he travels. Last year, though, he went to Portugal, Spain, Italy, Belgrade, Serbia, Moscow, Warsaw, Kaifeng in China. It goes on and on. What drives him to do this work? his fervor, his religious fervor. He he believes that he's doing God's work. But there's there's also a political side to it as well. What's that? Which is has to do with his Zionism, Israeli Zionism, the growth of the Israeli state and the demographics of Judaism and the Israeli state as a representation of that. We're a limited people, we being Jews. Um, we're chosen, we're we're in, in that sense, only our children are going to become Jews. If we don't have the right number of children, then we will die out unless we allow conversion. So in the Zionist project, you need people to fill your state. So one way to do that is to go outside of the bounds of what you normally expect would be the, you know, what traditional Jews are thought of in Ashkenazi, Sephardi, and go find some more. And bring them in. I mean, that's the way immigrations work. It's America was the same way. Uh, there wasn't a religious component to it, but you say we have a country and we need to fill it up. You're, you can come here. We need you here. So how does the Israeli government uh, consider the, these people who are moving from India? Uh, it depends on which government is in office uh, because it's such a highly politicized thing in a way. Um, when the It's interesting because you would think of um, pro-immigration groups to be more on the left. But in this case, it's actually the, the best allies that Freund has are on the right. Um, so, for example, the interior minister, who is the one who has to sign off on the migrations, under Barack, I believe it was, there, there was one, Avraham Poraz, who was Romanian-born and I mean, everybody that we're talking about, one of the interests, it's an aside, but everybody we're talking about is from elsewhere. You know, nobody is a Sabra or anything like that. Everybody is from elsewhere because that's the nature of the modern world. Um, Poraz uh, thought that this was just a fiction and he wanted to shut it down and he did. Uh, he said, I'm not going to let these people who can just stand up and say I'm Jewish walk in because if you do, you're basically opening up migration to whoever feels like they want to stand up and say I'm Jewish. But as I understand from your article, they're not emigrating under the law of return, but the, but under the law of entry. What uh, is the difference between those two? So the law of return w was written in 1950, right after the Holocaust. It's a the idea is anybody who's a Jew has the right to emigrate to Israel. It's the whole point of the state. We exist in order to bring to be a beacon of hope to the persecuted and to give shelter to anybody who is Jewish and needs it. And in the context of right after World War II, it makes perfect sense. Um, 
but then the definition of Jew is the one that matters. The law of entry is a simply an immigration policy, a state national immigration policy, like the ones that we debate in America are who are we going to let in, who are we not, and why. Okay, we need workers. We need, or they're looking for their, their basically their their lower class or middle class to to help fill their ranks. And you don't get citizenship uh, under the law of entry, right? You can. Oh, you can. But it's in the same as a process that you might have in America. Whereas the law of return is what you see if you ever have the chance to go to Israel and you go to the airport and you see the passport uh, entry way, and there are citizens, non citizens, and olim. And olim refers to the people who are making aliyah. And the moment you arrive in Israel, you go straight to the passport uh, booth that says, I'm going to get rid of the passport that I'm carrying, and I'm about to get a new one from Israel, which is an incredible thing to go right to the front door of a country and say, You can be a citizen now based on your religion. But that's not how it's granted to the Manipur. Well, it was originally. Uh, that is, if the idea was that the Manipuris and the, the Midei Menashe are Jews before they were trying to do conversions in India uh, and then making them Jewish there and then, okay, now you're Jewish, now you can enter Israel. That didn't work anymore after a certain diplomatic incident that happened where basically by going to, to India in order to convert people, they're breaking Indian laws against proselytizing. So they realized that they had to bring the Indians first to Israel through this special migration, and then they're converted once they're in Israel. So then they become Jews there. So technically that isn't law of return, but it's, it's sort of a loophole actually in a way because the interior ministry writes a decree saying that these specific 900 people are allowed to migrate in order to become Jews. Um, you mentioned Hillel Hawkins book, Across the Sabbath River, and you spoke to him recently about your research and your story on Freund. Uh, you acknowledge in your conversation with Halkin that you felt a kind of sadness when you were in India watching the Bnei Menashe get ready for their aliyah. What exactly was it that made you sad? Whether you like what Freund is doing or not, there's no denying that he is having a significant and palpable effect on the lives of thousands of people. And if he continues doing what he's doing, he's going to have a palpable effect on millions. He He could make... Israel a destination, a migration destination for millions of Latin Americans if he succeeds what he's doing. So he changes people's lives. And when we were in India, you could see the effects of that very viscerally. They have a, a, a lifestyle that will disappear from the earth because they're going to move to Israel and that will be changed because that's just the way the migrants work. But there, there was also no effort from Freund to, to try to conserve some of the things that they had or to, or there were very cursory attempts uh, to take like the simplest version of their culture, a dance here or a weave or something like that, and use that to represent, which it comes down to your idea of diversity in Judaism too, because it's what's most interesting is that these, because they behave like modern Orthodox, in fact, they're not bringing any diversity to Judaism at all. Uh, they're just replicating the, the this imposed form of religion. And so, um, you know, you're not really... The thing that you're destroying is their culture before the religion. That's it, it's, it's just like a typical... It's not a missionizing project. I want to be clear about that, but it resembles one or a colonial project in some way because you're going to take a group of people away from what they knew and make them do this other thing, which they say they want to do. 
to be fair. They, you know, they're not being coerced in any way. They're, they're the ones who are expressing their desire to do that. But you're not going to get a, a, an enriched Judaism as a result of this brand new idea about what it means to be Jewish because they're not bringing that. So we've established what they are leaving behind. What do they look forward to in Israel? What What did you see when you got to the Israel side of this journey? Well, that's when it gets really hard to be critical of Freud because what you see is third world migrants moving to a location that offers more opportunity, more support, more social welfare, and are being given every support possible, financial, education, uh, contacts, uh, Anything you could want as somebody who's moving to a new country, they're getting it handed to them. And so they're being told, okay, we'll give you the training wheels for the first couple of years, and then you're going to be on your own. The thing is, they haven't really been there long enough for to know what kind of success they will have, but there's no reason to believe that they're not going to be successful and just as happy as every other wave of migration to Israel. Matthew Fishbane, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Matthew Fishbane is a senior editor at Tablet Magazine. If you go to our website, tabletmag.com, you can read his great story on Michael Freund and the Bnei Menasha. Please do share it with other people and let us know what you think about it. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm your host, Sarah Ivry. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs>